are. Happy Monday to you, Doug. It's hard to believe this is our last episode of season one. This is the end. I feel like we should have boys to men playing end of the road in the background. (laughs) Oh my gosh. A little Philly shout out there. I love it. So yeah, it's been a great first season. So good. And uh, loved it. And then we're going to be taking the month of August off. So we've Mm -hmm. mentioned that before. Tell our listeners just briefly why we're taking August off. Yeah. Well, some of it is because practically JR and I are very busy with rest and recreation in the month of August. And we also have a ton of other responsibilities with Kairos Partnerships and with with my job at Renew um, in terms of getting ready and teed up for the fall. And so, and we also feel like one of the most important things for us to do is to actually practice rest. And we get a chance to do that by practically not recording um, and releasing things throughout the month of, well, we, we will record, we just won't release through August. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're just really grateful for, um, just so far what we've, we've had an opportunity to experience personally, and even some feedback we've gotten. Thank you so much for those of you that have, um, left us reviews on iTunes. Um, we cannot thank you enough. And we're so grateful that this, this little community and this little dream is growing and we're, we're really grateful for that. Yeah, it's been it's been good. Yeah, thank you again for the interaction. Sometimes it's a text, sometimes it's an email, reaching out on social media just to say thanks or this this is a part of my regular Monday rhythm, whatever it may be. So that encourages us. You always wonder who's out there listening. And so if those of you who have left a review or said hi or whether you know when we've seen you in person, you've even mentioned, "Hey, that was really great about that interview." So continue to be dialogue conversation partners with us. Yes. Uh, in that we we love that opportunity. So Doug, tell us a little bit about about, uh, this uh, last episode interview who we have, we sort of saved one of the best for last here. So tell us a little bit about, about this interview coming up. Yeah, we are so grateful to be have an opportunity to interview our friend AJ Swoboda. And JR and I have known AJ for quite a few years. And uh, we, yeah, we just love this guy. Um, he is super fun. And, and while we were recording the interview, JR and I were chatting, this is amazing. Um, because there is such a honesty and a vulnerability that we have an opportunity to bear witness to and to be a part of. And I, my sense is, as we hear what AJ has to say from his heart, that a lot of you will be saying, yes, I didn't know how to put that in words, but yes, I see that. That resonates deeply with me. And so we're just super glad that AJ was willing to to be with us, uh, that he was willing to share his soul um, with pastors, with people that he loves and that the people that he's poured his life into as a professor, as an author, as a pastor. And so, yeah, I, I man, I don't know what else to say except for like, buckle up. This is going to be a, a wild ride and get the tissues ready. And uh, yeah. Anything else, bravery. You, anything else you'd want to add? <laughs> just a lot of bravery. And I just, we, we've seen vulnerability modeled on the podcast. But this this may be the most brave of any of the interviews we've done thus far. Yes. And so uh, we've always respected AJ, but our respect goes up. So maybe we should just leave it there. Let our listeners enjoy from here on out. Our guest today is the famous Dr. AJ Swoboda. 
I have known AJ for quite some time. I was lucky enough to have him as a professor, but I am most impressed by him in the way that he's been a friend. Um, AJ wears quite a few hats. Uh, he's a professor at Fuller Seminary at Portland Seminary, and he also is a professor at Kilns College. He's a, he was a church planner and a pastor at Theophilus Church, which is an urban church in Portland, Oregon. Um, and he's written several books. Uh, you need to check out his books. Uh, but what I love about AJ is the way he is vulnerable, raw, and the way that he understands the work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of leadership. And so we're grateful to introduce you all, if you haven't met him yet, to our friend, AJ Swoboda. Well, we're really uh, excited to have uh, Mr. Professor, Dr. Incredible Man, uh, AJ Swoboda with us today. And yeah, um, happy Monday, AJ. Mm. Happy Monday to you. Thanks for joining us all the way from the beautiful West. Yes, I'm so happy to be with you. Thanks for making space for me to join your uh, your your awesome Monday morning podcast. So yeah, we really appreciate it. Now people at home can't see this, but uh, all three of us have beards. Yes, and we have glasses. Yes, so uh, it's the the beard and glasses uh, tr- trinity here today. This is ex- so. this is actually really exciting. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. we could almost have a beard competition. <laughs> I think very different beards, but very good beards. Yeah, very yeah. different, very yeah. different. But Dad, uh, I don't know if you guys have uh, when you grew your beards. I grew mine on my sabbatical last summer, and <laughs> somebody somebody told me when we came back that nobody nobody ever grows a beard in really good time in their life. Uh, I don't know if that's been true for you, but well, I, yeah, it's not been the truth for the truth for me. When I studied for a semester in Israel in college, uh, we have this ceremonial first shave or last shave when we're in Israel and then everyone throws their razor away. So then, and you don't even shave your neck. So it's like nasty. Um, when I got back, just to tell you how nasty it was, my nickname at school was the Unabomber. (laughs) So <laughs> it was disgusting. And I knew I needed to shave it when I woke up uh, from a nap, then went to um, w- then went to meet someone at the dining hall and I was stroking my beard and I was like, what the heck is this? And I found a toothpick <laughs> that had been inserted inside my beard that I didn't know was there that someone admitted they put in during my nap. So you, that wasn't so, like your like emergency toothpick? No, like that was gross. <laughs> I went I went back to the, 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 the dorm and I shaved it off. If I, if I have a foreign object on my face and I don't even know it, it's gone. So, But we're not here about beards. We want to talk about much more serious topics than that. So, I mean, AJ, you wear a lot of different hats. You have been a local church pastor. You've been a church planner. Uh, you're a writer. You're a professor. I think the question that many people ask when they know about you and your load is, how do you do all this and not burn out? How do you cultivate healthy practices? So how would you answer that when people think that or ask that of you with all that you do, how do you stay healthy? Well, um, the last, um, the last, uh, year of my life, um, in essence, yeah, the last year of my life have revealed to me that, um, that, that, uh, I haven't managed to do these, these, this insane amount of stuff, um, healthily, uh, as a result of that in, uh, December of this last year, uh, I transitioned out with my wife from our local um, pastor assignment and um, am now uh, teaching full-time. But um, the truth of the matter is I, I don't think that I did do it well or healthy, and I wouldn't recommend um, the patterns and ways that I've I've been living. 
So uh, I don't have any way to tell you that I, I do it well. Cause I, cause I don't, I had to, I had mm. to transition out of, um, out of a big part of my life. Mm. Wow. What were the indicators or factors that helped you realize, whoa, this isn't healthy? Mm. Well, um, yeah, th- there's probably a bunch of ways to answer that, but the big one would be the last summer when I went on sabbatical with my wife, uh, Quinn and my son, Elliot, we went on a road trip, uh, to begin the trip. And on the first day of our sabbatical in our road, in our car on the road trip, uh, it took about 10 minutes for my wife and I to look at each other and say, uh, we're, we're done. We need to transition out of this particular assignment. 10 minutes. Um, maybe five. Yeah. I mean, it was, wow. it, was, it was, it was really, it was really quick. And, and, you know, I think we had the intention of, of maybe this is just emotion, exhaustion, whatnot. We'll come back and keep, keep feeling it out. But within a couple of months of being back, uh, it was very clear that Jesus was uh, inviting us um, to, to do a major vocational downsize in our life. And so we've been, cre- we, that was December. We've been, we've been crying for six months, for five months. It's been, um, the darkest night of my soul that I've ever mm. walked through. Mm. 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 So you mentioned, I mean, what do those tears represent, AJ? Mm. Um, they, they, yeah, they represent, they represent a lot of things. I think they represent the death of a dream. Um, I, I was not, I wasn't really aware of the uh, dark uh the dark dreams that I had in my heart around what the church represented, meaning I think in my heart, I probably desired the church to fulfill something in me that it never could. And as a result of that, I made it something that it never could sustain. So I grieve, I grieve putting the church in in a wrong place in my life. Um, I grieve letting people down. Uh, I grieve, you know, I funny stepping away. I, it took, it's taken counseling and spiritual direction to figure this one out. I, I sort of wished the church fell apart when I left. Mm. Um, and, and it didn't, and that depresses me, um, a little bit because I kind of wanted to believe that I was a bit more important than I really was. And the church is actually doing, I think better now that we're, we're transitioned out in a lot of ways. Um, so I grieve realizing that I, I wasn't the savior um, but boy, it's really good for human beings to recognize that they're not the savior. And sometimes God is willing to hurt our feelings for us to experience truth. So I, mm. I it's tears, but it's joy as well. Mm. Mm. Talk a little bit more about that joy. I mean, you talk about this dark season. What does joy look like? Whether it's just simple, small little blessings or major things that you and Quinn are cultivating. What does joy in a dark season look like for you? Uh, it's a whole different, it's a whole different kind of joy. Um, I, I think before this transition took place, um, my joy was largely externally, um, fueled. Um, I found my joy in, um, preaching, teaching, writing opportunities, success, um, Amazon rankings going up, these sorts of things. And when those things are, are, partially removed from you. You have to find joy in other stuff. Um, it sounds silly, but like, um, being just being up in, in the presence of my son, my seven-year-old boy and my wife and laughing and having a cup of coffee in the morning with them for this season, um, has been life changing. I was neurotic. I was a complete neurotic mess for a good year and a half before this. 
uh, and everybody around me knew it, but it was really hard to tell me that. Uh, it's hard to tell people in power that they're neurotic messes. Mm. Um, so joy, joy to me is a cup of coffee with my, my family and, and a board game and, and being present with, with my family in this season. Mm. Is it fair to say that you would not have come to some of these realizations had it not been for your sabbatical? Yeah, I would say that my, I would say, well, uh, the sabbatical wasn't the thing that did it. It was the stepping away from the church that really has, has made the truth become uh, true, real truth. Um, I think the, the position that I was in as the local church pastor protected me from having to see the reality. Um, I was padded. Flannery O'Connor always talks about how the poor um, are the one people group in the world that are not protected from the realities of life that they have to experience. Uh, the cold and the heat and the hunger, and there's nothing to protect them from those things. And in a lot of ways, I think my position as a pastor protected me from reality. It protected me from seeing who I really was. Um, this dark night of the soul too has brought up all sorts of fears around, am I called to be a pastor? Am I called to shepherd God's people? Um, have I been putting on a facade for years? And I haven't landed on answers for all those things, but I definitely can say that loss, um, that loss has forced me um, to have to do the inward journey. I've been doing the outward journey for years, but for the first time, I'm having to do the inward journey. Wow. Wow. So over this last season, we like to ask this question on this podcast. A lot of those we, we interview and talk with, what are some of those lies that you're tempted to believe? What have you believed? Or even currently, what are some of those lies? Are you able to name those? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, this is a big one. This one, this, this is a really big one. It's new. It's new for me. And it's, I'm almost ashamed talking about it. It's the first time I've talked about this publicly, but I feel like this is a good place to do so. Um, and that is the, the lie, uh, that preaching, um, that preaching is an appropriate place to develop intimacy with people. Um, so when I was a kid, my false self might kind of, when I was a kid, I was a really lonely only child. And when I was 14, 15 years old, for the first time I was in a play. And I found out that when I was on a play, when I was in a play, when I was on the stage, when I was given a mic, people really liked me. And as a result, that started the false self for me. And preaching became the best way in the world to to, to feed that false self of, of developing intimacy with people by being on the stage. Um, in a lot of weird ways, preaching and pornography have the same root for, for in, in my experience. And that is that both of them offer a form of pseudo intimacy that requires no relationship. And the, the lie, the lie that preaching is a way for me to develop a sense of intimacy um, has robbed my family and my friends of, of a present father, husband, and, 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 and brother and sister in the Lord. Um, so this lie, this lie that that ministry, that ministry can fulfill my need, my emotional needs, uh, is a, is a really big lie. Um, and it's lonely, man. I, I feel like Jesus has asked me to not preach for a year and that's, it's really lonely. I'm really sad about it. I grieve it. Um, but it's also profoundly redemptive and that my ministry right now gets to be becoming a, a healthy human being and being an awesome dad and husband. Um, I do think that God sometimes like he did with Saul removes his sight, removes somebody's voice in order for them to find their true self. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So 
what is that? I mean, I mean, you know, when when we think about the ways that our identities so so many times can be wrapped into the things that we do, like what are some of the practices that you've been adopting or maybe rethinking uh, in this season that have that have helped you understand that what you do is very separate uh, from who you are? Well, I've been running from the silence for a long time. Um, the silence represents for me the place where I have to come face to face with my uh, the the stuff in my soul that I don't want to hear. I love the rabbi. The Jewish rabbis always talk about how um, the 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 rabbis who practiced silence the most were the ones that struggled with things like lust the most, uh, because in the silence, all the crud from your soul just rises to the surface. No wonder we're escaping from silence everywhere we go. We don't, we don't want to deal with the stuff that's in our heart. I've just been giving a disproportionate amount of time uh, to, to the contemplative life and silence. And in doing that, I'm just finding all the, all the stuff I've been shoving down for years is starting to come up and paying attention to it and allowing it to be there, uh, that it belongs and it's okay to attend to it. You don't, I don't, I don't need to shove it out of the way or feel really horrible about it. Um, so silence, I've been doing a lot more silence. And then I think the second thing is surrendering to the day. And that is, um, allowing my son's desire to play Legos and do, uh, play, play catch or do something like that, that he gets to determine what we do. And I get to surrender to his will. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's redemptive for me because it is, I think, a sim- symbolic move towards surrendering to God's will throughout a day of not m- that my schedule, my calendar doesn't need to play the Lord of my, my life, uh, that I can give freedom and space to the movements of a day, kind of the Kairos time, you know, I'm, I'm not, I've been so enslaved to Kronos time, like the, to the, to the calendar, to what needs to be done. And for the f- first time in my adult life, I've been enslaved now to the Kairos time, which is what needs to be done right now. What is the thing that 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 God is bringing up right now? So it's been a lot of Legos and catch. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. There's, I mean, I, we can obviously tell there's been a lot of inner work being done that's got scars on your soul because of it, but is good. But with that, what do you know, what does AJ now wish that you could tell AJ 10 years ago. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell myself anything. In fact, I'd probably sit with the old AJ and just sit with him and hug him um, Uh. and tell him, I love you, dude. And you're awesome. And the reason I say that is I needed, God needed to take me through this season for me to be who I am today and that I could not be who I am now. Uh, I don't regret a minute of, of the mistakes I've made. I don't regret a minute of uh, the foibles and errors that have been on my, on my life for years. Uh, God has, found, um, God has just so masterfully turned, um, uh, my tears uh, into, um, into cups of joy. Uh, the, 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 I've been going through Psalm 89, 90 and 91, just reading those three Psalms over and over and over again. And one of the lines that just keeps, just keeps reverberating with my soul is, um, that my tears have been my food. Um, that the, the tears of the Lord, uh, are if we allow them, uh, our strength and our sustenance. So I would probably go back in time and if anything, it would be comments about my fashion more than anything. I wouldn't <laughs> just stop wearing that. And, yeah. Oh, that's great. So you're in this season of discernment. And so maybe this is just really close, but how does, and I think there are pastors who are listening 
who would say they've just come out of a season of discernment, they're in a period of deep discernment currently, or they're about to enter a season of, of discernment, whether that's transition or some big decision or move in their lives. How, who are some of those voices or what's the constellation of support around you in this season of discernment? I mean, to put it crassly, how do you know it's God's voice versus bad pizza from the night before? You know, how are you discerning or what does discernment look like in this season with the constellation of support around you? I know that's a loaded question, but. Yeah. Um, well, maybe just two initial thoughts come to mind. The first is, um, I, I've, I, uh, continuously, when I read, uh, the new Testament, um, when I read about Jesus talking to the father, talking about the coming Holy spirit, um, I find it, I've I just find it illustrative of the Trinity that the, the members of the Trinity are always pointing to one another. They're never pointing to themselves. Um, Jesus is always pointing to the Father. The Spirit is always pointing to Jesus. Um, the, the Spirit is always pointing to the Father. The, I mean, just, they're always pointing towards one another. Um, Craig Keener in his book, The Gift and the Giver, uh, says that the, the Trinitarian love always points to the other members of the Trinity. And he says, but the the demonic spirits always point to themselves. Mm. They're self-oriented. And in this season of discernment, um, when I sense a movement in my gut or my heart that is pointed towards myself, usually I have the ability to say, that's not of the Lord. But when there's something that's pushing me to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or the Father, that that is a move I'm supposed to take. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, uh, and this was the second to last sermon I preached at our church in Portland, was the burning bush uh, experience where Moses comes to the burning bush and talks to it. And of course, the, the rabbis have taught for years that Moses wasn't the first one to come across the burning bush. He was just the first one crazy enough to stop and talk to a burning bush. <laughs> um, and that when the, they talked to the bush, that the bush, he, the, the text says that it burned, but it was not consumed. And for me, that the image of he looked at the bush for a long time, it was burning, but it didn't go away, became a paradigm for me to understand the voice of the Lord. And that is that when it's the voice of the Lord, uh, it burns and burns and burns, but it doesn't go away. Mm. Uh, and if it is pizza, it, it'll go away pretty quick. My <laughs> emotions are very fickle, um, up and down, depressed, really happy, consolation, desolation very quickly. But when it's the Lord, it burns and burns and burns. And the next day, it just comes up again. And the next day, and when that happens over the course of two or three, four months, that needs to be attended to. And in our case, in our case, it burned for a good four or five months. And we just needed to listen to it. ministry really has deep uh, effects on family life. And so how has family life for you changed uh, from say eight months ago until today? I don't have as many excuses to say no to my, my family anymore. Hmm. Um, I, it's, it's grown uncomfortable to me how much I used work as a trump card to get out of stuff I didn't want to do. Um, I got to go to this meeting. I got to meet with this person. 
really as a way to get out of needing to play Legos. And I don't have that trump card. And when you don't have the trump card, you, um, you're much more vulnerable to just give yourself into the forces that be. And so I feel, I feel like in our family, I have a lot less power than I used to have. I feel a lot more vulnerable. Um, I would say in my relationship with my wife, um, she's been able to express to me ways in which I've marginalized her in pastoral ministry. And that those things are deep systemic issues that have run in my family that I've needed to address. Um, so my wife has the capacity and the space now to, to tell me when I'm, I'm marginalizing and, 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 and not being co-equal with her. I I've been, uh, let me, I'll put it this way. I've been an egalitarian in theology and not practice for years. Wow. And for the first time in my adult life, um, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing what it means to be co-equal with my wife in practice and not just in lip service from the stage. Wow. Yeah. If, if Quinn were on this with us and you weren't here, what would she want to tell us about the last six to 12 months? Whether it's discernment or family life, what, what might she tell us? Um, she would, because she's an awesome human being, she would tell me that she loves me and that she is honored to be married to me. And then she would, I would think that she would have some pretty good things to say about, um, uh, about, um, guarding, um, how would I say that? I, I think that she, she would probably, um, start a really good, awesome conversation about, um, power and how power can be really, really hard on a marriage. Um, if your sex life is being affected by staff meetings, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. If your intimacy is being affected by power dynamics at play in, 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 in ministry as a married couple, that needs to be addressed and you just can't sweep it under the rug. And for too long, we swept it under the rug. And I think she'd name that. And she'd say, she, she'd say, we should have probably been having these conversations a couple of years ago, but you couldn't hear me. And it's true. I couldn't. <laughs> When you're spending your life running all over the globe, speaking everywhere and trying to become the next big deal, it's really hard to pay attention to the person that you love. Mm-hmm. And, but she would, of course, say it in kind, generous, loving ways. I think my, my son, if you were to ask me the same question, if my son was here, he would just say, it's been really awesome having dad around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How would he assess your Lego building skills? They're developing. I'm not very good at Legos. I actually don't. The thing is, dude, I don't that play, play, play. I mean, we talk about play. Play is actually really hard for me. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of memories of playing as a kid. And as a result of that, I don't know how to have unstructured time that isn't productive. Mm. It's really hard for me. I feel like I'm wasting somebody's time. I'm wasting God's time. I'm wasting my time. Um, But man, when you read the Garden of Eden story and you realize that God didn't make the Garden of Eden because he needed more vegetables, like he just really wanted some people to play with, it kind of breaks your heart because I've been a slave to God. I've forgotten to play with him. Mm. And I've been a good dad, but I've forgotten to play with my son. And it's hard. It's ironic. Play is hard work. Like you have to be, um, you have to be willing to surrender and die to your day 
<laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Mm. Mm. If, and I don't think you're alone on this. We, we know you're not alone on this. Definitely not alone. <laughs> what, uh, what is the, the temptation behind that idea that play is a waste of time? And again, that's not unique to you. Nope. But uh, I mean, I think Doug and I would feel that. And we, we talked recently about our hobbies, but what, what's behind that? Yeah. The underlying issue for me, and I can't say it's true for you guys or anybody else, but I can tell you right now that for me, the underlying heart issue is that when, you're, when your goal in life is to do things that curate invitations to be on podcasts and speaking invitations and, and gigs, when your life is trying to get on the stage, play is not productive to that end at all. Um, it is, it doesn't, there's no success at the end other than relationship with your kid. That's all you get. And so if your goal, when your idolatry, when your goal, when your telos, your, your heart is just about productivity. I had to shut, I had to shut, I just shut down my, um, I had, a, I, I just shut down my website. If you go to ajsvoda.com, it's a picture of a construction worker saying coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it because it dawned on me. I had a website with some of my sermons and stuff on there, but I had a website as a portal for invitations to speak places. That was why I had it. My motivation was not that I wanted to share my content. It is that I wanted to get invited to places. And I, I just feel so convicted in my heart around the motivations for why I do what I do. I mean, I almost canceled on this podcast an hour and a half ago. Lord, am I doing this podcast to serve pastors and humans? Or am I doing this because I'm secretly hoping that my friend John Mark Comer is listening to it and he invites me to speak at Bridgetown again. Mm -hmm. Am I secretly doing this because I want J.R. Briggs to think, man, that's awesome. How can, so that Doug Moisture will bring me out to renew. And for years, my idolatry, my just heart has been all about curating gigs. And now that I can name that, and I know that's my motivation, um, I can recognize why play has been so stinking hard for me. Mm. Mm. Is that too vulnerable? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really unique and I don't, here's where the false self comes in. I'm in this like weird dark season of the soul. At least it feels like it. the Lord's been faithful or not, but I even feel the, my false self thinking about how can I, after this dark night of the soul, curate all the content from this and turn it into the next book. Mm. Yeah. How can I Henry now in this? <laughs> I've never heard that as a verb. Yeah, you wow. just verbed now. <laughs> it's a verb. How can I take all of, and not, I'm not saying Henry now did this, his workout in right. integrity, but how can I take the dark night of the soul and write a book like Wounded Healer and everybody's going to think that's a guy that did. The false self is so good at what he does. Mm. So good at what he does. Mm. Oh. It's almost like at the at the beginning of um, the pursuit of God by Tozer, in the introduction, he says, "I, I uh, you know, and I'm going to mess it up, but the idea of some things are for the pulpit and some things are for the closet." And so, what does it mean to to develop these closet spaces with God, where 
I don't have to feel that pressure or that invitation to put words to it, but just this to be that intimate space for God and I to spend these intimate words, these special words and phrases that we've developed in this space that is just for him and is just for me. Yeah, because I mean, you you mentioned the idea of of um, uh, preaching and pornography sort of being this very similar, <laughs> you know, uh, the, just the similarities are, are huge in that way. And I wonder if if a lot of it is even just developing our closet life. Like, what does it look like to be? You know, everybody wants to get out of the closet, but what does it look like to stay in the closet and have those 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 spaces that are just special with you? And with God. And so it sounds to me like, you know, some of the things that you're, you're saying is that you're finding these spaces in Legos. Um, and, you know, the idea that, you know, really sacred things are just ordinary things brought before the presence of God. And I think that struggle, that struggle as pastors is that we get that confused a lot. And we think sacred things are when I have something profound to say in front of a bunch of people. Um, but I, but I appreciate that idea of like, yeah, actually you're right. I mean, when it comes down to it, I, I think about this a lot with, with my own son. It's like when it comes, and my daughter, when it comes down to it, uh, they probably, I know that they won't remember a sermon that I've ever preached, but they'll tell you the games that I missed or the games that I made. You know, they'll, they'll have, my hope is that they'll have these fond memories of, you know, like, yeah, my dad was weird. He did some crazy stuff, but you know what? He just like really loved us well. Like if I can face the end of days with that on my conscious, I'm a, I'm a pretty happy guy. Um, yeah, but anyways, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just needed to to share that. But yeah, I mean, AJ, I, I really appreciate just the vulnerability. Um, and it sounds like it takes a lot of courage to actually just speak from being in it instead of being out of it. Yeah. And so like one of the things that Jared and I talk about quite a bit um, is like, what is the gospel speaking to you in these moments? Like, like, what are you, like, what is the good news of what, of what's happening even in the dark night of the soul? I read somewhere, um, I read somewhere about the story of Thomas Oden, who is the, he taught at Drew University for years. He was the, uh, is a theologian who kind of in his early years was a, um, kind of pretty progressive, uh, theologian who, kind of very critical of the church, whatnot. And he had uh, this experience of reading the apostolic fathers, of reading the, the early church fathers and, and mothers, and had this turning experience and kind of came back to his roots of the Christian faith and returned to orthodoxy in a sense. Um, and he has this line in one of his, um, in one of his books where he says uh, that before that, experience before that he wouldn't read any book written by anybody uh over 30 years old and then he said but then after the experience he wouldn't read anything by anybody that was uh that was younger than 300 years old or something like that <laughs> and he, his point was um he spent the rest of his theological career uh under the principle of of never articulating anything new that his entire sole purpose in theology was to say all the old truths in, in our context in our world. And I, uh, I feel like the gospel for me is a freedom from needing to seek. When I read that, that's, that puts to language what I'm feeling. I don't need to seek 
anything new from the Lord. Like when we sing those songs, um, I'm not content with, I, I want more of you, God. I want, which is such a hard thing to say to God. He can't give more of himself. Um, I'm learning that the gospel for me is contentment with what, that with the deposit that has already been put in me. I don't need another podcast. I don't need another book. I don't need another sermon. I can be content with what God has already deposited in my soul. And the gospel for me is a freedom from needing to curate more content for more people. I get to sit and just relish in the goodness of what God has already given to me. As we close here, let me let me finish with the the question. What you know, with with those who are listening, what's that last thing? What's what's burning in you? Whether it's a word of encouragement or challenge or reminder, yes, a blessing. Yes. What what is it that yes. one last thing you'd want to say to listeners yes. about I, what we've I talked would about? Say, um, that pastors are so awesome, and that they are serving so they work. Every, every woman and man that is listening to this who is pastoring is working their tail off and is, is struggling and, and, and pushing and challenging and serving other people. And I would tell the pastor that's listening to this that God really actually likes you mm. and that God is super, super interested in your well-being too, not everybody else. Um. Allow your allow the gospel to work for you too, not just everybody else. Mm, mm. It is a really hard time to be a pastor, and I have more respect for pastors now than I ever have in my entire life. And it required me to need to transition out of pastoral work for me to appreciate the work that pastors do. You're kicking butt. Keep it up, mm. Mm. AJ. Thank you so much for that encouragement. And I, my sense is people who are listening right now just sighed a beautiful sigh of relief because someone someone sees someone sees and someone knows and someone understands and so i just appreciate the fact that you are willing to name that for us and that you um just so vulnerably shared uh so many different things but could you give us a benediction on this monday morning i'd be honored to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we lift up pastors, servants, Christians, healers, administrators, secretaries, um, those that are listening uh, to this. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for um, a deep and eternal resonance with the love of God for healing and patience and guidance to discern your will and the capacity and boldness to be silent before the throne of God. Heal God and bring grace and joy in the name of Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.
I'm not sure if I've ever had an opportunity to actually be that close to a an extremely thin space uh, with someone in the vulnerability and the authenticity of what we had a chance to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, I kind of want to just have you jump in my car and we drive to the Philadelphia airport and we fly to Oregon and we just hug AJ, get back on a plane and fly home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was just... He just, the way he modeled vulnerability in that, I think he's naming things that many pastors hardly name, and he's naming things that most pastors wouldn't say on a recorded interview. Mm. And I just so appreciate that about, and a lot of that comes out in his writing. I mean, AJ's written a lot of books and he's spoken uh, about um, not just where he thrives, but a lot of times his own weaknesses, which I think adds the chutzpah and the punch to what he's saying, um, the power to what he's saying. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, Brene Brown and, and, you know, she's not a theologian per se, but she has contributed some good things. She talks about a vulnerability hangover. And in some ways, not only did I feel like AJ probably had a vulnerability hangover in some ways, I think you and I have one Yeah. after hearing that. And, uh, and yet as, as hard as vulnerability hangovers are, it's still, worth it. It may take us a little bit, a few days or a few hours or maybe a few weeks, but I always find a vulnerability hangover, like it's almost like it flushes the system. Mm. And then I take a deep breath and go, I'm so glad I did that. I mean, you and I have, there are times we've preached and we go, man, that story was pretty raw. Wow. Like maybe I shouldn't have gone there. And then it always takes that person a few days or a few weeks later, or even a few months to say, thank you for being vulnerable. Like Mm. it makes you feel more human as a pastor, mm. when you say something like that. <laughs> Boy, that's, yeah, that's so true. And I think what people don't get to see that we do is, I don't think AJ opened his eyes yeah. the entire interview. That is true. Yep. Um, that stuck out to us. At almost the entire interview, his yeah. eyes are closed. And I just wondered, is that uh, prayerful? Uh, is that thoughtful? I don't know. But yeah. I, um, yeah, I know it took something out of him. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it's, I think what's so funny is we, you know, originally when, when we were, when I was looking to, to get some time with him, I was really excited to have him talk about Sabbath because a lot of people yeah. have talked about Sabbath. And when we sat down to sort of talk about things, this is what came out. And again, he's a fantastic author. Um, his book on the Sabbath is great. If you just Amazon search AJ Swoboda, but Sabbath, the dusty ones, messy, um, redeeming how we talk, which is just a great book on communication. And then, uh, the glor- a glorious dark, uh, I, I have read for the last two years, uh, leading up to Easter. So that's been a Lenten practice mm. of mine mm. that I've really just appreciated. And so, yeah, uh, check him out. He is a great dude and we're just super thankful that he was with us. Yeah. We're also going to put this in the show notes in terms of, uh, his books, um, because you need to be exposed to AJ if you haven't heard of him before and his work and what he's doing. So, um, I think as far as questions, Mm. I, I just have one or two, um, and it's just simply asking what did AJ say that stuck out to you that you feel has some sort of implication of what you should or should, should not be doing moving forward? And we try not to use shoulds, right? We don't want to should all over ourselves. Correct. But, but the idea of like what implications of what you can take away or maybe what you can leave behind based on what you heard today. And I just want to keep it nice and simple mm. on that. And maybe just the resources um, and just recommending his books, yeah. unless you had any more. You know, but- the only other thing that I would want to add is, 
if you have a friend who's a pastor or ministry leader who's mm. struggling, I want to encourage you to share yeah. this, this, this interview with them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, please share that. Uh, not just for our benefit, I think even more so just for the benefit of your friend who might be struggling, a pastor, a colleague. That's a good word, Doug. That's yeah. a really good word. So as you go, just as AJ talked uh, on this, model vulnerability this week. Do it in a way that's courageous and appropriate and wise. But model vulnerability knowing that Jesus in his vulnerability stretched out his arms in the most vulnerable physical state that you can take of holding his arms out and allowing himself to be nailed to a tree on our behalf. And that bloodied cross and that empty tomb is the very hope that we have. The most horrific moment on Good Friday becomes the joy of Resurrection Sunday. And we can only call it Good Friday when we see it retroactively. And so live in that vulnerability of knowing you're not starting that. You're just responding to a Jesus who modeled vulnerability even more than what AJ did today. So live into that, enter into that vulnerability, and know that when we are weak, that's the ironic element, the mysterious nature of the gospel, that we are then strong. So go and live out that identity today in the gospel.